sure you do too. Like I gotta read that email you sent me. I gotta get caught up. Hey, look at this. It's the 4th of December. This is the 27th episode. Of the year. Of the year. Of this season. But we are, where are we at? Because we're more than 27. We've been doing this for six years. Uh, we're probably close to about 80 total podcasts since oh, yeah, we started in 2009. Yeah? Yeah. Because there are other insect podcasts out there. Yeah. But I don't think they've done 80 plus that we've done. Is it is it quantity or, or quality? We have both. I, I mean, I know, but maybe not. You it's know. not for us to say. Yeah. It's only for our listener. Yeah. To say. <laughs> listener. <laughs> you caught that. I'm sure we have at least three. Actually, we have one listener, Eric Clifton. Who's a your graduate student? He said, "Yeah, on the last podcast, I couldn't hear you." Eric so, said that. Yeah. So notice where the microphone is today. Lips touching right up microphone. against my mouth. Yeah. This is for you, Eric. Hope you can hear me now. I'll turn your volume up. No. Well, I, whatever. That's fine. Um, what are we gonna talk about today? I know what I want to talk about. What do you want to talk about? Is there you, something you need to tell me? No. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> is there something you want to talk about? I, I don't have anything in particular except maybe a couple of conversations we've had in the hallway this week about soybean aphid and a presentation that was delivered at ICM conference this week in Ames. You know what? What? I think you want to talk about the same thing I want to talk about. Okay. Look at that. We're on it. We're like eye to eye. I'm doing the wavelength thing with my arm. Oh, okay. We're on the same wavelength. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So break it down. So um, for those of you that aren't familiar, we have uh, what's called ICM, or Integrated Crop Management Conference, in Ames every winter. And it's a great way to have a lot of professionals who work in agriculture get the latest and greatest research, not only from Iowa State, but we bring in a lot of speakers. And it's something I present, I try to present every year, um, but I also wanted a chance to bring in a new face because... Not everybody has to see me talking all the time, so oh, but they want to. <laughs> I invited Robert Cook, uh, Bob. Uh, K O C H. Yep, as, Cook. as I think we've talked about him before. Yeah, um, he is a soybean entomologist at the University of Minnesota. He's a relatively new faculty hire, but go Gophers. We were in this. We were at school at the same time. We were students at Minnesota at the same time, and he's doing a lot of good stuff. And so, I asked him just to give an update, particularly on soybean aphid. And he presented a really interesting discussion about developing resistance for soybean aphid against bifenthrin. Aphids? Soybean aphid has developed resistance to a foliar insecticide. Bifenthrin? Mm-hmm. Commonly used? What, what, what class of insecticide? Is that an organophosphate? It's a pyrethroid. Did so you just say that? No. All right. Um, I think it's I'm sold listening. under a, t- a couple of different listening. names like Tundra. Tundra? Really? Yeah. What? Yeah. <laughs> Why would you? Tundra? Well, look Tundra. where we are. But you don't apply it in the winter. <laughs> well, and you can also buy it as Brigade. Uh, that makes sense. And I think there are a few generic um, that I, I just don't know right off the yeah. top of my head. So I you can just about... apply bifenthrin. Yeah. yeah. Not to get off topic, but uh, <laughs> so insecticides have three names, right? I'm going to tie my little aside into something useful maybe to some listeners or to a listener. Uh, insecticides, pesticides have three names. They have the chemical name, the active ingredient kind of class, and then the commercial name. And uh, the commercial name doesn't really tell you anything because you can have different commercial names, right? But it may be the same active ingredient. Yeah. Yeah? Is it? Yeah. Yeah. 
I heard of one herbicide. They were considering this name for this herbicide, the commercial name, Sahara. <laughs> There's also like gangsta. Gangsta? Is yeah. Really? That was a herbicide. I mean, you know, it catches people's eyes. Like, I don't know. Like, there, there it wasn't guys, spelled gangster. I think it was gangsta. Yeah. So there yeah. are guys driving their sprayers who are listening to NWA. Well, I mean, who knows what they're listening to? Hopefully, they're listening to us. That, <laughs> yeah. The, we're the, does that make us OGs? I think so. Mm. All right. So getting back to Bob Cook, spelled K-O-C-H. Uh, he, Why do you always have to say that? <laughs> it's like the fifth How line. many? Well, there's like five different pronunciations yeah, of there K-O-C-H. Is. Yeah, there is. Bob Cook, K-O-C-H, came down here and talked about soybean aphids that are resistant to insecticides. Yeah, basically the scenario, at least in s- the southern and south central part of Minnesota, is they have very persistent aphid populations. Uh, most farmers can expect to treat once. And because of early colonization that they see there, sometimes they spray very early. And then as a result, they get some secondary colonization and have to spray again. It's not uncommon for farmers in that area to have to regularly spray twice a year for soybean aphid. So just really intense populations. And just intuition would say, if we were to see resistance from a a full year insecticide, yeah, that's where we'd see it first. And so it's something that's on their minds a little bit more, um, maybe in the forefront than we have here in Iowa, where you may or may not get aphids, you may or may not have to spray, you know, especially as you move down into southern Iowa. It's just not as common. So here's a couple things for maybe our bigger listenership, if they exist, is that um, soybean aphids have kind of gone through three phases since arriving in the United States. There was that early detection. You know, they first were detected. Then we went through a period where we had these on-again, off-again years where there'd be huge outbreaks and then almost non-existent. And then we'd have a huge outbreak and non-existent, went back and forth like that. And now some ecologists say we're in the third phase where it's present, but it doesn't go through these, you know, real on-again, off-again cycles, at least not as much as it initially did. Mm-hmm. Is that fair to say? I think that's fair to say. I mean, it's not like soybean aphid is unique when you have an invasive species that sure, tends sure. to be yeah. a similar pattern. Yeah. But but in terms of like a soybean farmer dealing with this pest, this this could kind of be their intuition. They're like, yeah. yeah, we used to have, you know, at least in Iowa and yeah. in other parts of the Midwest, like we used to hear a lot about soybean aphids, used to be a lot of them in the field. Now, eh, not so much. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think that's true for a lot of areas, but not. I would say not true for southern Minnesota. Right, for that. That, that is a real problem, real Southwest. persistent problem. Yeah. And so they have been looking at efficacy evaluations just like we do, and they have heard of in the past maybe poor performance of insecticides. And so that hasn't been a trend that has been every year, but it has been, yeah. you know, was it a, was it a coverage thing? Was it... Um, half rate? Was it a poor application? Was it just a bad batch? There's been those conversations going on in the last couple of years. And if it doesn't happen across a large area yeah. and yeah. it's only an occasional farmer. It's you know, easy you, to dismiss it. And, and, and it may, yeah, right. It's easy to dismiss it. And there's a lot of other explanations yes. other than it's the insect that yeah. is resistant to the product. But Bob did But But this year work. was different. This year there were substantial number of what farmers would perceive as failures. 
mm -hmm. in in a multi-county um, area all at the same time and so it was more than just a coincidence it was more than just one farmer maybe doing not a great job of application or a company it was more than just a batch it was more than yeah. it was it was too many things coming together that really raised the flags of uh, animologists. So Bob does some science now. He brings some yeah, science. Yeah, so it was actually here. Bruce Potter, who oh. is a IPM specialist in southwestern Minnesota near the Lamberton location, and he's the one who was taking all the calls and said, this is more than, this is more than just, you know, uh, uh, this is something that's really happening. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so that's when he got in, in uh, cahoots with Bob, and Bob went out, sampled aphids, uh, took aphids from those problem fields, and it wasn't just by Fenthrin, but he also sampled, I think, from six or seven areas that had Lambda Cyhalothrin, so that would be Warrior. And so he had Bifenthrin and then Lambda Cyhalothrin populations, or aphids from those fields. And he did a couple different bioassays. He did a leaf dip bioassay and a glass file assay. So they take a leaf of soybeans, they dip it into the insecticide, mm -hmm. and then they put some aphids on it. Yeah, they let it dry, put aphids on, and then 48 hours later, they count the number of aphids. That survived on that leaf, yep. yeah. Mm -hmm. And then the glass vial, they coat the inner, the interior of a glass With vial. liquids, yep. And after it dries, they throw some aphids inside there, and they look to see if the aphids are still crawling around yep. Yep. in a short period yeah. of time. Not like 24 yeah. hours, but like yep. minutes, right? Because mm -hmm. these insecticides, if they're going to work, they're going to work fast i mean they're they're basically nerve poisons yeah and so i think if you have an insect that is susceptible to that you're going to see some visual cue cues oh they curl up and die at, yeah, or just uh, over firing of the nervous system so they can twitch oh, yeah, and like yeah. they're on their back and they're kind of twitchy and eventually they're going to die but usually like you said within 24 hours either they're kind of either either twitchy or dead or they don't seem to be affected by it anymore mm -hmm. so he was measuring survivorship with those two different bioassays. And he saw a difference in survivorship. Yeah, and so they're they're trying to estimate the lethal concentration yeah. of these and trying to estimate approximately when 50% of the population dies. And I think what he found for bifenthrin was that he had anywhere from four to 10-fold resistance of soybean aphids to It would take four to 10-fold more of the insecticide to kill the insect yeah. compared to what it was before it got exposed to the, uh, yeah. before it became resistant. Yeah. And how does, what does he compare for the, what, 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 is, what population of aphids does he use for that comparison? So he has an, an aphid colony in-house that was taken into um, basically their facilities before, it was, it was during the first year of, okay. um, so that was like a, a colony from 2001. So this it's never been exposed, so it should right. be considered completely at least, naive. At least never been exposed to insecticides in North America. It may, you it's know, true. whatever happened in China, That's we, right. we don't know. Yeah, but, very good point. <clears throat> yeah. Mm -hmm. But anyway, but coming in here, you know, growers, mm -hmm. you know, started spraying in 2002, 2003, so... Yeah, and so what I gathered from Bob's presentation is that, I mean, that number sounds kind of scary, right? Four to ten for tenfold mm -hmm. resistance. Mm -hmm. But he said at that level, you would not see what what farmers perceived as a failure out in the field. Oh, interesting. And so it would take a very oh. high number, um, the lethal concentration, because the, the the concentration that they were using for the bioassays yeah. was not at what, what we would apply as like a full field rate. Say that again. Okay, so like if a farmer applied like, um, what, it, what would it be, a full rate of 
Um, yeah. Yeah. I Don't mean, look it like up. a one X rate, a full field right. rate to, that that's on the label that people are using to spray for soybean aphid. That's not the rate he was using. Okay. To for the leaf dip. Was he using a rate lower or higher? Lower. Than that? Lower. lower. Okay. Because they're just trying to get an assessment of like, are these susceptible or not susceptible? So, okay. Okay. So the rate. The rate doesn't exactly translate to a full field rate. Okay. And so he said at the, the rates that he was using, I can't remember right offhand, even though he was seeing four to tenfold uh, resistance, that is not a level at which he thinks he would see that in the field. But it is an indication that these aphids are starting to evolve. Yeah, Can we use that word? They're evolving. Evolve. They're starting they to did. evolve. Yeah. And how whatever mechanism they're using to survive that yeah. exposure to bifenthrin. I mean, this is the beginning. This yeah. is the baby steps at which, oh, it's four to tenfold now. Right. But it could get up to a hundredfold or four hundredfold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, yeah. you know, that does translate into field concentrations. How are we doing on time? We're about, we're about 13 minutes. Yeah. Because yeah. Um, there's a, a ton more we could talk about. Yeah. That. And so the thing that I thought was especially interesting and something that they all also have to battle on a regular basis is two spotted spider mite. And so um, wow, they've been this having. This is really cool. They, they spray often for two-spotted yeah. spider mite, especially in low-lying, sandy, or drought conditions. So low-lying, sandy soils are at risk for uh, spider mites because those plants tend to be drier. Yeah, they get the stressed out, and, and, you, and, you, and you see the visual yeah. signs of and, it. And mites tend to do better on a dry plant. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. and so because they have been battling with that for a while, the uh, farmers have also started to talk about uh, reduced efficacy they're they're starting to see this of organophosphates oh and so um that's not just minnesota that's actually more on a national level that people are noticing poor performance of organophosphates so farmers if they feel like they haven't been getting good efficacy have been using bifenthrin all right so So to recap yeah to recap bifenthrin pyrethroid pyrethroid uh used against aphids but also used against spider mites, both of which occur on soybeans. Mm-hmm. So if you're, whether you mean to or not, uh, because they may co-occur on the yeah, same plant. Yeah, they certainly could. You could be selecting for resistance for one if you're applying yeah. to target the other and yeah. vice versa. Yeah, and so it, it's. I hope I haven't confused the one person who's listening to no, this. No, I think that's a, it's a good recap. Eric, come see me after class. <laughs> um you don't normally think of pyrethroids being a choice to control mites. In fact, the application yeah. of pyrethroids can often make situations right. worse, right? right? Flare mite populations in which you end up with more than before yeah. you sprayed. Bifenthrin has been one example that has been the exception. Okay. And so that's why farmers have been leaning to bifenthrin. And because normally you don't think of that as like top yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, ac- active yeah. ingredient for, for, you know, it's not as common. Right. And so it's really interesting complication that they're using bifenthrin because they want to control mites not knowing that it's actually a product or an, an ingredient that mm-hmm. soybean aphid maybe is starting mm-hmm. to slip mm-hmm. a little bit so you know you try to control one pest and you're actually driving resistance for another and pest. you don't even know it right because just the, when you see an aphid outbreak yeah there may be a few spider mites in that field yeah they're not causing any trouble but they still are getting exposed to that pesticide. Yeah. And yeah, every application is an increased exposure, right. whether it's a low population or a high That's population. That's a great point to make. And we were just having a conversation about this with yeah. Dr. Aaron Gassman, yeah. the Dr. Aaron Gassman. Mm-hmm. And he was making that point that um, regardless of how big the population is, if you get exposed to a pesticide, you're, that, that is 
there is selection going on. Yep. So whether it's a big one or a small one, selection goes on and it just advances the loss of susceptibility. Yep. Bummer. Yeah, and, and so you think of Bummer. when it comes to foliar foliar insecticides, we don't really have a lot of groups to pick from. And so you think about like organophosphates and pyrethroids is basically the big two. And organophosphates, so you, you know, pyrethroids, and then maybe some neonics that are yeah. formulated for a uh, foliar yeah. application. Yeah. Then what do you got? We don't have spirotetramide. Carbamates, yeah. Carbamates, really? I mean, that's not this as is popular getting, either, but yeah, yeah, it quickly drops off uh, after that. And so it's, it's mixing, uh, it's selecting by active ingredient that is how you would deal with this resistance, yeah. not by product name or even chemistry, right. because again, yeah. insecticides have three names and you may have a different chemistry, but if you're in the same class of insecticide, if the insect develops resistance to pyrethroids, it's likely it can break, it can survive on multiple pyrethroid chemistries. Yeah. So I think that's when a product like subloxaflor um, might become something of even greater importance. Yeah. Because yeah. it's a, it's a subgroup of the nicotinic <laughs> inhibitors, so we're not going to get into that. We're not going to get in that we, we, argument well, again. But yeah. it, you and know, by people, argument, Aaron and I disagree about whether it's a neonicotinoid. But that's that's yeah. what go back to episode. But because they're two different subgroups. Yeah. Um, yeah, and and that's when product selection is really important. So so Bob had this really great slide, in which he said, right now there's about 75 products that are legal for soybean aphid. If you dig a little 75 bit, seventy-five products. products, and you were talking 75 about seventy-five commercial numbers. names, yeah. Yep. And but when you look at it, there's really there's four groups. Yep. Uh, and then when you you know look a little bit deeper, there's some four of them, groups by active ingredients. Yeah. Yep. And and some of them have some subgroups, but then when you think about like four, you know this, it yeah. really narrows it, and especially if you're talking about resistance issues to some of those groups. Yeah. If you just nix those, you. you it becomes very difficult to mix, you know, uh, if you have to spray a second time, yeah, what yeah. would you use? You want to use something different. It's not just a commercial name. You try to pick from a different group. It's craziness. You know what? Huh? I think this is one of our best podcasts ever. Cool. Thanks. No, you, they we're crushing this. This is great. This is very, it's very good. Yeah. Good conversation. I'm getting my head around this whole thing. Mm -hmm. There's so much more to talk about. Like what? Well, like how you apply the insecticide might affect how uh, quickly resistance builds up. Yes. Let's say that for another time. Okay. Is that right? Sounds great. Because how long have we been talking? We're just about for? 20 minutes. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. We're not like other podcasts where they will just go on and on. We're going to tell you Or have to have like a certain time limit. No, we could. We, well, we could go on and on. We could. But we're not going <laughs> to. We're going to save this. for. Let's do a part two next week. Okay. Because the one thing um, I want to talk about is... Um, how insecticide use has changed on soybeans okay. and how that ha might affect this whole issue of resistance. And we, we were talking about this a bit in the hall, but um, there's some evidence that at least foliar insecticide use has gone down in soybeans in this sort of third phase of the aphids invasion of... Uh, you mean in the in North Central region? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's kind of counterintuitive, right? Farmers may be using less foliar insecticide but now we're seeing this resistance occurring. It doesn't mean the number of applications has decreased, right? Well, maybe the number of well, we don't know. Yeah. It, it, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna translate that 
But no, I'm not. I'm going to save all okay. that frustration Let's save for it. next week because there's a lot to unpack. I don't want to frustrate you. No, you're not frustrating me. You're not frustrating me. Is there right. anything else we need to say before we go? Um, Ooh, no. Big pause. If you were there at ICM, I hope you enjoyed it. Yeah. If not, get enjoyed con- it. Enjoyed it. <laughs> I hope. If not, um, get connected with ICM Will or some put- of the upcoming events like Crop Advantage Series, um, other you, things that are going on. Not, not to tell you what to do. But you will. Well, is there are there links to the ICM like proceedings and stuff that people can yeah. get? Okay. Yeah, I think Did I Bob can. Did Bob publish in that? Yeah. Oh. Oh, sweet. Yeah, I'll I'll get I'll get it linked up. We didn't even talk about what you presented at the ICM conference. Oh yeah, that was. I mean, Bob's stuff was. That was fill uh, in the room kind of thing. Well, it or, was. That's. I mean, that was interesting to me. Well, yeah, yeah. You get tired of your own stuff real quick, don't you? Like when people ask me, like, "What am I doing?" I'm like, "Do you really want to know?" <laughs> I mean, but well, I had I had people interested in mine too, yeah. um, but not quite. But what were you talking about? I talked about managing cover crop pests for corn and soybean production, and it was uh, a little smidge of what Mike Dunbar presented oh, uh, and okay. his poster and everything for a True Army Worm. Did you get good, good? Some people, you know, the 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 rate of adoption of cover crops in Iowa is exponential. Really? Really? I found out from places like Practical Farmers of America. Practical uh, Farmers of Iowa. (laughs) Why do I keep saying America? Practical Farmers of Iowa. You got to get out more. I know. And Sarah Carlson. Yeah. So what she said is, uh, like before 2009, we had I think less than 20,000 acres. This year, she she said we've hit a tipping point of over a half a million acres. So within a span That's of five two years, of magnitude yeah, I mean it's just, wow. and so uh, you know a lot of people are on the learning curve. Yeah. They're they're giving yeah. it a try in their farm, and they're not realizing some of the pest issues that come along with trying to mm-hmm. have a cover crop for all the right reasons mm-hmm. and you have a green bridge that spills over into corn and soybeans. So I just talked about a few examples and just some some cultural control things that people should be thinking about uh, so that they don't run into seedling pests. Yeah. That's a, another fascinating thing. Yeah. We should talk. Okay. That's phase. That'll be part three. Sure. Why not? No reason and why that, not. Yeah. And we can this link some things up there too. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds good. Okay. Thanks. Yep. Bye. Bye.